What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Clean Libertarian Podcast, your one-stop destination for everything involving the war on drugs and what the libertarians want to do about it. And uh, here we are. It's the you know first show after the uh, Christmas holiday. How did everybody's holiday go? Uh, ours went pretty good. You know, we got to go out of town and visit some family and. Uh, you know, my, my grandma, she, um, she lost, you know, we lost our granddad at the beginning of this year. And uh, soon thereafter, the pandemic ensued and, you know, everybody was freaking out. And so for the entirety of the year, she has been having to process and mourn more or less by herself uh, in the house that she shared many, many years and many memories, uh, you know, with my granddad and, uh, it, it's been a tough year for her. And, you know, she was more or less thinking that this Christmas, it's the first Christmas without him by her side, that there wouldn't be a whole lot of us there. And uh, we all surprised her, man. We, we showed up, uh, you know, and, uh, and it was a great holiday. You know, it was great seeing her eyes light up for the, uh, for the first time in a while. And uh, it, it was just a beautiful holiday season and uh yeah we got to spend it with the with the ones we loved and i hope that that yours was equally well and uh if it wasn't you know that's just one of those things to look forward to next year's being better and today's a new day and uh we're gonna be all right you know what i mean um not much happening in the world uh i guess you know the the main thing that that happened over the Christmas Eve, Christmas Day was the uh, bombing in Nashville, which, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see what that what that entails, you know, going into it. And in the interview today, we kind of talk about it there at the end, uh, doesn't don't get real, real in-depth on it. But one of the main things to remember, and, you know, I, I name dropped them in the, uh, in the interview, is don't forget about Richard Jewell from Atlanta, okay? Let's not, let's not get to the place where we are trying and convicting someone before all the evidence is there. Uh, people deserve due process. I don't care what evidence uh, there is. So yeah, just keep that in mind, guys. And uh, yeah, so let's just get on into it. Um, today's interview is a mutual follower that I that I have on uh, on social media. Uh, Jonathan is somebody who I, I just kind of, you know, saw a lot of principal takes. Just kind of the, the same way that I select any of the other guests, man. Uh, just someone who always had a good, you know, spin on things, kind of had his uh, principles in line with my principles and, and just somebody I could relate to. And plus, he's also in recovery. And uh, this is somebody who chases God and I don't know where you sit on you know the the spiritual or religious spectrum but in his own way you know he is pursuing that and um, I don't know for me personally that's something that I find inspirational and I like to have around and so um, I, I really wanted to get Jonathan on to share a story about where he came from and where he's at today and, and what that process looked like and, and also kind of, you know, get some of his take on his political alignments. And so, you know, this is yet another story from the Liberty Movement of someone who 
is not a complete hedonist, you know, we, it's straight edge liberty is what we're calling it. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, man. Um, and so, yeah, with that, I'm going to introduce you guys to Jonathan. All right. What's up, Jonathan? What's up? Not much, man. Thanks a lot for coming on and uh, and sharing your story. Um, yeah, absolutely. I don't want to do you a disservice and I don't want, because I know who you are for me, but who are you for the audience? Why don't you give a little intro on yourself? Um, yeah, my name is Jonathan Robert. I, uh, uh, gosh, what's the best way of, of describing me? I'm, I'm uh, a, a, very, uh, a very big believer in liberty, uh, both uh, politically and personally. Um, my, my, my big thing on Twitter, which most people know me from is Twitter. Uh, my, my big thing on, on Twitter is uh, political liberty, uh, personal liberty through sobriety and Christianity. The, those, those are the th three things that, that I'm most known for. And all three of those things align with me 100%, man. I'm right there with you. Um, kind of like what this whole podcast started as being was, and you've seen it, I'm sure. You know, the second you start talking about ending the war on drugs and this and that, the, the, an idea and an image gets placed in people's heads who maybe aren't in the know that libertarians or liberty-leaning people are just a bunch of hedonists. And, you know, and I really want to use this podcast as an avenue to prove otherwise. So somebody like you, uh, you're an inspiration to me personally, seeing, you know, just kind of some of your takes, man, because, you know, it, it, it's tough being consistent in sobriety with liberty. It's tough. Mm -hmm. It's a hard thing. And I'm sure mm -hmm. you've ran across that, haven't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, knowing that uh, that I believe that everything is permissible, but uh, but not but uh, not everything is valid, especially for me personally. Uh, you, you do run across uh, things because because uh, like you, I I don't think doing drugs or having drugs being be uh, legal is evil in and of itself. I think it's dangerous, but there's a whole bunch of other dangers in life. Right. Yeah. That's, and that's it's super dangerous for me. It's deadly for me. <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the thing. Um, and and it's, what's wild is, is trying to sit down. And I had a, a buddy of mine. I don't know if you heard the episode I had with Greg, but we kind of talked about this. And, you know, we go to these meetings. You know, we, we, we go to these meetings. We meet people in recovery and the second you start trying to talk about ending the war on drugs or, you know, giving people that choice, dude, it's just like they, they go haywire in their head. And so we're not only battling and it's not so much a battle, but, it, you know, we're, we're not only doing this this uh, journey trying to change hearts and minds outside of the liberty movement, but we're also trying to do it inside of the recovery community in such a way that it's making sense. And so. Um, yeah, how, and, and let's just get into this. Like, how did you, you know, what's, what's your story, man? How did you grow up? Like, what did that look like for you? And, and what brought you to where you are today? Um, so I, I grew up in, in a loving Christian home that was far from perfect. Uh, I, uh, 
I like most uh, guys who uh, uh, who had a uh, a father at home uh, clashed with my father when I was in my teenage years. Uh, I got uh, very rebellious then. Um, that's when I found uh, drugs and I liked drugs and I pursued drugs for, oh gosh, half a decade um, to the point where I was... Uh, I, I was never an unproductive member of society, you know? So, so the whole like, you know, wasted druggy kind of thing really never happened to me. Um, but you know, I, I was like selling drugs on the side and every weekend I was either high on E or meth or both, you know? Um, I, uh, I usually used my, uh, used my, uh, uh, my, my selling of drugs to parlay getting better drugs you know, it was never a profit-seeking motive. It was always to get me into parties <laughs> and to get the good stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. I'd sell the bad stuff so I get it, so I get better <laughs> connections so I could get the good stuff. But, like I was not an entrepreneur whatsoever. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. It was all, um, all a social hierarchy kind of thing for me. Yeah. Anyways, um, I I I. I Got all the way to the place where I almost OD'd on meth. Like, like I, I probably did OD on meth. I was, I was shooting pool, and all of a sudden, uh, the the world just really sh- shrunk down to this, to like this. Like, I could only see a tunnel. And I walked to my car because I'm like, I got, I got to lay down, and uh, laid down in the back seat. And I woke up to all my friends freaking out. So, um, uh. It, and it wasn't a, uh, long after that that my dad had been reaching out to me and asked me to go to church. And I was like, well, whatever, you know. Um, and, uh, and, and and we were going to this outreach kind of thing where th- they were feeding us and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, well, well you know, it's probably good to uh, – uh, it's pr- it's probably good to to uh, get my relationship back with my father and you know what what does it hurt going to church and you know it's a free meal on Sunday nights whatever, um, and so the uh, the OD happens. Uh, I'm I'm mending my relationship with my dad and then I had this very clear uh, feeling like. Uh, God didn't like, you know, audibly talk to me, but it was more like, uh, God laid it on my heart that, uh, um, uh, I wasn't being a good person to my friends. All of my friends were using me. We were all awful people. Uh, I was, uh, I was on the road to either a long, a long prison sentence or death. And I was just, uh, I was just awful at, uh, at running my own life. And, and he was like, well, what would it hurt for you to, to let me run your life? And I was like, oh, well, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I quit all the hard stuff. Then I quit smoking. Then, you know, I, th- uh, th- I thought that that was my, uh, my, my road to sobriety. Right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't quit drinking. I cut down on drinking. Mm. Uh, Fast forward another decade and a half, and I'm going through a divorce for a whole bunch of reasons I don't want to talk about. Um, and uh, and my drink and I allow my drinking to get out of control. 
And uh, a friend of mine asked me to uh, to go hang out with him at a pool hall for his birthday. And I'm already, uh, you know, I've already like drank, I don't know, maybe half a fifth of uh, uh, of rye, um, you know. And, and at that point in time, I didn't feel I mean, I, I, you know, I felt a little loose, but I didn't feel drunk. Uh, that's how much I'd been drinking. Uh, so I got in the car. Uh, I was pretty, um, uh, I was in a, in a very, uh, emotionally unstable, uh, place when I was driving, I get pulled over for erratic driving and arrested for my second DUI. Ooh. Uh, and, and sobering up in lockup, I realized that normal people don't get arrested for their drinking, you know? Right. Um, and I had always thought that, that I was, uh, that, that I was cool, that, uh, uh, that my drinking wasn't a problem and that, uh, you know, I kicked hard drugs. So, you know, the, the drinking thing was just a social thing. Right. And it wasn't, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, the second time being locked up that I realized, no, dude, you just have a substance problem, period. Right. You know, like kind of hard to ignore it at that point. Right. 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 You know, at that point in time, you have so much evidence that, that, dude, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so it, it's so funny, you know, you go, you go to enough meetings and nobody, nobody really has a unique story. You know, there's always like different flavors of stories. So mine is the story of, you know, I was into hard drugs. I stopped them and I just switched it over to, to booze and thought it was cool. And then I had to uh, wake up and realize that, that no, even the booze is a problem. It's all a problem, you know? Yeah. That, that's kind of one of those things that I think we all have in common is that we don't really have a drug of choice outside of more. Right. Right. It's always, it's right. always, it doesn't matter what it is. And hell, I can take it even a step further. I have a weight problem, bro. Like, you know, food, that's, that's a thing that I battle gambling keep me out of the damn casinos because I will, if it triggers that certain part of my brain, you know, that pleasure receptor, I'll use it to my own demise every single time. You Amazon know? bro. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. You got the Amazon problem. Uh, yeah. Sometimes yeah. I, I have to, uh, uh, I, I have a system where, where if I feel like I need something, I put it in, uh, I put it in the, uh, uh, the, the shopping cart and then I wait 24 hours. Oh, nice. You know, that's be, a good method, man. Because, because if I don't do that, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've curtailed it a little bit. So I don't like blow more money than I need to. But, there, you know, in a given month, 50 to 200 dollars could end up going to Amazon for stuff I don't need. Yeah, same. Same here, man. That retail therapy. That's a real thing, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, real thing, especially in the day and age when, you know, a lot of our storefronts are acting weird. And so it's like, you know, kind of we're being pushed to buy, you know, stuff online right yeah. now. So, um, so, okay. So you got locked up that second time. You're like, this is, this is not good. So what is it that, um, you did at that point? Um, well, from there, what I did was, uh, uh, you know, I did, I did all the court ordered stuff, which, which actually worked out pretty well. The, uh, uh, it gave me info that I didn't have before. Um, it, you know, I, I, I wish that I had a, 
a, a better sales pitch for, uh, for therapy or for the 12 steps or anything like that. The fact of the matter is, is I, I woke up to my reality and I made a decision in, uh, in jail and I had, and I, and I haven't changed my mind since. Um, I'm, I'm kind of one of those guys that, uh, that I'm very open-minded until I've made a final decision on something and then I'm unshakable, you know? Yeah. That's the deal, man. I'm that's, that's a good thing. And here's the deal. And, and I'm a 12 step guy. That's where I found my solution. And for a million reasons that we don't need to get into, but one of the things that I've always maintained and, and where a lot of the 12 step fellowship, I don't want to say cultists because that's not what they are. They're just hardcore into that, but they start believing that their respective fellowship has the monopoly on recovery. And that's just not the case. Right. I mean, pe- people find their own way out of their own hell in a million different ways, you know? And so for you to have that experience, dude, that's a great thing. And I think you need to share that as much as possible, you know, wherever you can, because there's a lot of people, man, who maybe they go to a 12 step meeting and they're like, this just isn't for me. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to, to be in that spot, you know? But. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I don't like about my personal testimony is I don't feel like it gives, like it gives empowerment to uh, that much to, uh, to other people. Like I, I try to push people to the 12 steps just, just because uh, even though I, I made a decision and uh, my personality is the way that it is. I've still found a whole lot of strength and power coming, uh, going to the right meeting. Not every meeting is the right meeting for you, but, but going to the right meeting and finding other people who are on this journey has, has really uh, spoken to me. Um, I, I think the, uh, those who, uh, who want to be sober, want to take this journey and just don't know how, uh, I, I think, Part part of the problem is they'll go to a meeting or two that is just not their cup of tea, and you know it's maybe this is a bad analogy because these people usually don't like church, but it's kind of like going to church, um, right? You, right. Uh, you you kind of have to go to a bunch of them to find the one that that really speaks to you. Um, you know, so, some some people really need that crusty old guy in his sixties, you know, who got sober in his thirties and has just been pounding the steps for 30 years. Right. Right. Yeah. And other people, you know, look at that and they're just like, this is way too dogmatic, dude. Like I don't go to church. I didn't come here for church, you know? Right. Um, But, but to each their own, you know, I mean, you know, again, some someone needs crusty old Cliff drinking this fifth coffee, yell, uh, yelling at you for not calling your sponsor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody does need that, and others others need that conversation that happens on the porch afterwards or before the meeting, right? Yes. Yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. Because yeah. that's an entirely different thing. And for me, you know, <clears throat> twelve steps help me in certain ways. Right. But what got me through and what got me truly on this path of recovery was the human interaction and just being talked to like a regular person. Cause God knows it'd been forever since that happened. I I'd been a screw up for so long that 
you know, when I, when I got to knowing some of these people and finding out that, uh, holy crap, man, they did some of the same stuff that I did. And we're sitting here talking about their business. They started 10 years ago and they're thriving, you know, um, that's one aspect more than anything though, for me and, and Jonathan, maybe you can relate to this is that like these people that we find in, in our respective journeys or whatever, they understand what it's like to turn down a drink when offered. They understand the awkwardness that ensues in some environments where the air just kind of gets sucked out of the room. When you say, no, I'm good. I'll just drink. And everybody else around you is drinking. It's like, I have to stay in touch with people who understand that fight. Because if I don't, then I start kind of turning into this mentality that I'm like, hey, I'm actually normal. That was just a period of time long ago. You know what I mean? Like, I can have a drink. What's the big deal? Right? Right. And I I don't know. Like, you know what I'm where I'm coming from with that? Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Um, it, and it, and it happens, it, it, it happens on, on all, uh, all sorts of social circumstances too. You know, it's not just the, uh, the buddy after, after work who, uh, who has, you know, a six pack of cores in his truck, you know, it's, it, it's also, um, uh, you know, when you're dating and, and you're, you're talking to your girl and, and your girl, uh, you know, is like, Hey, remember how much fun drinking was, you know? And you're like, yeah, actually I do. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and there's a part of, there's a part of your brain that, that goes, well, maybe we can recreate that fun. Yeah. You know, and, and let's be honest, maybe you can at first. Yeah. For a minute. At, yeah. 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 Maybe that first, maybe that that first session will just be fun and nothing bad will happen. Yeah, but you know where that road leads. You've been there a bunch yeah. of times. <laughs> you know exactly where it goes. Yeah, tried every method that you can to to not go back down that road. You know, right, every right, method. right, or or to just you know turn it into a cul de sac where it's nothing but fun, but, <laughs> but it doesn't work. Right, it just yeah. doesn't work. That's the bitch of it too, man. Is that like, you know, I've sat down and examined this more than anybody can examine it. Look, I've been to, I, this isn't like, it's, it's kind of embarrassing now to talk about, but like I've been to 20 different inpatient facilities or 20 trips inside of an inpatient facility. I have tried every single which way but loose, man, to try to rein this in, to try to, uh, incubate just the perfect scenario where I could just sit there in that happy moment. And every single time I pay that price that I don't want to pay, you know? Um, and at this point in the game, I, I had a buddy, he says, you know, relapsing is like having sex with a gorilla. It's not over until the gorilla says it's over. Right. <laughs> right. right. So, so if I buy that ticket, I take that ride every time there is no, me going out to dinner with my wife tonight and just having one drink because it it won't stop there. And you and I understand that, you know, but she understands what happens, but she doesn't understand why that happens. Right. So these relationships that we have, like, you know, you and me talking right now, or or me and my other friends, like that is so vital to my personal well-being. 
that it's uh, it, it can't be it can't be overstated. It really can't, you know. Right. Right. Exactly. Well, and and I don't to the non-alcoholic, to the non-addict, to the non-user, like that they they don't they don't get they can turn it off, you know. Right. And 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 sometimes in the right situations we can turn it off too. It's just that's rare and 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 that's fleeting, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I I try to talk to to people and, and explain to them that like. It's not that I always wanted to get belligerently drunk. It's not that I ever really, uh, it's not that I got belligerently drunk often. It's that I always drank for effect. Mm. Period. Mm. I always did drugs for effect. This idea of having one beer, what's one beer? I'd rather have zero. You know? Right. If by one you mean half a six pack so I can get at least a little buzzed, then maybe I'm in. Maybe. Yeah. That's a good point, man. I've never, I've never understood that, you know, like the one beer person I, I, I for Christmas, like the holidays, we just went, you know, my, my mom's husband, he will sit there and drink one Coors Light and he's good. And I'm just sitting here watching him. I'm like, dude, you got a whole lot more in that fridge. What are you doing? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. If it's, and if it's a Coors Light, you, bro, you got like seven more to go before you're fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no, no cap on it. No little booster, you know, just a shot of Jack just to kind of get you there going. Uh, nothing. Yeah. Just one, one Coors Light, sit there, watch a ball game. That man's content. And um, so that, that tells me, all I need to know right there that I just don't have that capacity, man, that, um, what do they call that? You know, uh, moderation is just not a word that's ever been in my vocabulary too, when it comes to that shit. Uh, but that's a good point, man. Drinking for effect. I, I never thought about it like that. I never thought that that's kind of the thing, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and that's the other part of things like, you know, I'd always, uh, uh, I, I, I'd always like mentally argue with, uh, with what the, uh, 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 medical prof- uh, field would, would, uh, would say, or anybody else when, when they were uh, talking about how, well, how many drinks do you have? You know, it's like, well, what's a drink, Yeah, you know, like I, I, I self-select, uh, beer for its alcohol content. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, I just had three beers. They're Trapels. You know? <laughs> yeah. High content, baby. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of like arguing with the medical field, here's one of my biggest problems that I have. And I'm not a, I'm a CDL truck driver, Jonathan. Okay. I'm not, I've never been to medical school. What the fuck do I know? Uh, but when it comes to the, alcoholism and addiction being a disease versus an illness. I I don't know why we call it a disease. It doesn't make sense to me. Do you see what I'm saying with that? And I know I did look, I have ADD. You're going to have to forgive me here for a second. Cause like, boom, I go off on a tangent, but it seems to me that alcoholism and addiction stems from the mind, not the body, right? There is not a DNA, whatever going on in my body that's requiring me to get loaded or used to excess. It is a mental illness. 
such as like I just talked about, man, like, you know, using gambling, using food, like it doesn't matter what it is. There is no chemical component. It's not the substance itself. It's my brain telling me that I need more. So it, I've never understood why the medical field calls this a disease when it seems more like an illness to me. Yeah. I, well, I guess I don't know the, the, uh, the clinical definition of, of both terms. The, uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, there usually with addicts, there's a uh, oh, uh, there's an overflooding of dopamine that happens uh, when uh, when we use, you know, right to, to whatever extent, you know, like that the uh, the the whole thing uh, about uh, uh, addiction, uh, whether it's alcoholism, gambling, a gambling problem sexual addiction or just you know you're addicted to math uh it it's it's all about your uh your brain almost having a uh, an allergic reaction with with your dopamine uh uh system where it floods more than other people who can just quit who can just stop right right um you know and it floods it on the, on the uptake not not uh not on the down you know so so you have this uh uh, it, you have this overabundance of positive reinforcement at, as you're using. Right. You know, um, maybe that's why they do it then because uh, there is an actual chemical process that's happening in the brain. Part of it. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> um, you know, I mean that, that doesn't explain everything, uh, but yeah. th that, that is part of the brain chemistry, uh, part of things. I that, think, I think my, my beef with it, with calling it a disease rather than an illness or, or is because it seems like, and you see them, you see people are like, I have a disease, you know, and they, it's like a victim badge, man. And it's like, no, we have an illness. It, it seems like an illness is, is much less likely to be used in that manner because what we have, what, what this thing is that we have, it is 100%. It's not our fault that we have it, but it's up to, it's our fault if we don't do anything about it. Right. So it, it's kind of one of those things to where like you can live in that victimhood mentality thinking, Oh, I have this disease. You know, that's the reason I do this. Or you can acknowledge it like, okay, this is something that is preventable and, and I can fix this by doing certain things in my life. You know, one of those obviously is abstinence, you know, and there's some other things that I need to do to correct some of those behaviors that make me feel worse. Um, but there's not a magical pill. There's not a, 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 a medical treatment. I mean, we see opioid blockers and stuff like that, but man, if you don't have some further mitigation that goes into that, like you're screwed once, you know, you stop taking that stuff. Um, I don't know that. I know that was, a tan I apologize, man. That was a tangent that I got on there, but one yeah. thing, uh, oh, it's totally cool. Uh, one thing I I heard when I was in in intensive outpatient uh, was, and I can't remember who said this. I, I want to say that they were uh, a politician of some sort, but uh, but but they the way they uh, they said I'm an alcoholic was they said I'm an alcoholic, and what that means is I'm an addict in long term recovery. Um. And and what I what I like about that is it speaks to the journey and it speaks to uh, the overcoming part of uh, part of things, you know. Mm. Yeah. The uh, the the idea of being in long term recovery. Anybody who is uh, on the journey of sobriety is in long term recovery. You know. Yeah. Uh, 
the 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 further you get from your addiction does not ever really remove your addiction because your addiction unfortunately is is a part of who you are um but that that's also speaking to the fact that you're on this path and you have made distance from uh from your addiction you know that's a good point yeah i like that a lot man i like that a lot i never i guess and i, I I wish I had done something like that because I've always ever done just like meetings mm-hmm. or I've been an inpatient, you know, I've never done outpatient. I think that would have been kind of cool to experience. Um, let's, let's kind of switch up this conversation here for a second too. So, you know, we know about your story coming into recovery, finding sobriety. How did you get your political mindset? Like what did your political journey look like to bring you to where you are today? Um, Let's see. Okay. So, uh, in 2016, uh, politically we, we were in a little bit of turmoil. Um, yeah. but personally I was in a ton of turmoil. I was, uh, I, I, I was, uh, uh, struggling through the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, repercussions of, uh, divorce and just trying to find myself and stuff like that. Right. And I had a lot of time on my hands cause I didn't want to end up uh, oh, jumping into any weird social situations and stuff like that. Right. Right. So I, uh, I, I started watching, uh, YouTube videos of like BoomerCon stuff, you know, like, uh, 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 Prager you and Steven Crowder and, you know, stuff like that. Right. And I joined Twitter just to be another BoomerCon. Um, <laughs> seriously. Okay. You know, just to just to post the Democrats are the real racists and all that sort of. Just. That's awesome, man. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the more I was interacting with people, and the uh, uh, and and uh, uh, and, and the more I was I was just like you know being on YouTube and like listening to various people, including like. Uh, you know, I was listening to Rush Limbaugh. I was, li- I was listening to as much as possible. Like it, this became my, uh, politics became my hobby horse, uh, out, uh, because I didn't want to have to deal with, all, uh, well, I was dealing with all the emotional par- uh, parts of, uh, of the divorce and the ending of that relationship and all that awful stuff. And politics, oddly enough, was my escape. So, uh, okay. So through that, I actually found uh, Stefan Molyneux and Stefan Molyneux started, uh, you know, talking about uh, the non-aggression principle and anarcho-capitalism. And uh, uh, what I think is funny is like, you know, he's he, he's kind of persona non grata, but but he, he was the first one to really get me into this libertarian space. And I really wanted to disprove him uh, because uh, uh, Steph is is one of those guys that that how he presents himself half the time you just you're just like I feel like you're wrong, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that, he does have that that effect on people. He really does. Right, right, right. Yeah. So so I kept on like trying to like disprove him, and the and and the more I fell down this rabbit hole of first principles, the more I realized, well, geez, he's right. And the more I, I, I started get, getting, uh, becoming a, a, a awakened to the problem of the state, 
the the problem that that this isn't just a a, a red versus blue thing. Uh, both parties are equally awful, just in ver- different ways, you know. And I just kept on following it, uh, following it down uh, all the way down to uh, where I'm at now, you know, where, uh, you know, I completely agree with Dave Smith. I think he he put it best when he said that that the government is the mafia pretending to be a human rights organization. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Without so, a doubt. Without so, a doubt. That's his that's his best one liner that he's ever came up with, man. That man It really is. He really has a way of, with words. So Stefan Malamu, that was the uh that was the red pill, huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Steph was was my red pill, which you know, again, I I get why people don't like him. Uh-huh. But but I uh, but I can't uh, I can't help but uh but a uh be truthful. Uh-huh. And, and B, uh, really appreciate what what he what he's done, you know. Yeah, I mean, to, to, egg uh, drama aside, yeah, egg know? drama aside, yeah. I I think he principles before personalities really kind of shines through when when discussing people like Stefan. I there's plenty of things I don't like about the man, but he does have some really solid points on other things, and that could be said about quite a few people who aren't so much palpable within this movement. You know, um, there's there's definitely some good that that comes out of that, and I'm glad to hear that that's what it was for you, man. So you came from BoomerCon. What what are you, what about your parents, man? What what are they? What, what's their political? Kind of leaning. Oh, they're boomer cons. I keep on trying to wake them up. <laughs> How's that going? Eh. <laughs> uh, you know, the indoctrination is strong. Like my, my parents are literal baby boomers. Uh, so my, uh, the indoctrination is, is strong with them. You know, uh, yesterday, in fact, I, uh, cause you know, uh, over the, the Christmas holiday, I, I, I spent it, uh, with them like, you know, slept in their house and stuff like that. So I was, uh, I was talking to, to my dad and my dad's like, well, you know, the problem with these elected officials is we just need to elect better ones. And I'm just like, so mm. close, but no. Yeah, no, no, not no, there yet. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. All elections are fraudulent and you just get to pick between awful person A and awful person B. Yeah. Quit, pre- quit pretending that like like an elephant makes them good. <laughs> yeah, and I think if nothing else, and uh, going to give a shout out to I know you know Liberty Lockdown, uh, you you know that guy. He he said it best, man. He's like this this whole election cycle has been the biggest red pill for so many red hats, and I I yeah. think it has. You know, my mom is never somebody who pays attention to the news at all, but she's staunch Republican always has been, always will be, you know? And, uh, she, even she's like, this whole thing is a sham. You know, she started kind of talking to me about it. And I'm like, you're close. We're getting there. You know, like we're, that's, right. that's a lot more right. movement than I've ever seen. You know, I've been, you know, autistically screeching taxation is theft wearing all the, you know, Murray Rothbard shirts and shit like that to her house for, Oh, I hit the I hit the mute button. That's on me. Okay, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but yeah, I think that you know, like I said, this this election cycle has probably woken up a lot of people. You know, th- just this year, not even the election cycle, man. Just 
she, you know, one of the questions that she asked me was, you know, what, what news do you watch? And I'm like, none, <laughs> none, right. you right. know, none of it. Uh, she's always been a Fox news person. And now she's like, I don't, I don't trust them. I'm like, you can't, right. you know, you can't, there's a, there's a narrative to be sold. You know, we, you are the consumer, right. You know, and they, they are the market. Right, right, right. And, and, and that's one thing that I've been spamming with, with my, uh, with, with my folks, well, with my family in, uh, you know, in totality is, is that the corporate press is the enemy of the people and they believe it. Like my, uh, my, my folks were like, yeah, but Fox news is like less of the enemy. And, and thanks to this, uh, to, to this year, they're like, oh, right, 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 right. Like they're, 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 they've. They've uh, they've even gone from being uh, big fans of Tucker to marginal fans of Tucker, and I think Tucker's probably the best person on Fox News. Actually, yeah. no, Kennedy is, but nobody watches Kennedy, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, she's great. Right, 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 right. Kennedy really is the best person on Fox News, but, but the agree. best personality that everybody knows is Tucker. Yeah, and I think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a new. News network come out of the Trump administration, you know, given he leaves the White House eventually. Uh, I mean, that's that's the rumor, at least. But um, I don't know. Mom's like, well, I'm watching a lot more Newsmax and OAN. And I'm like, yeah, they might be great for now. But, you know, give once they get big enough, you know, they, they are a commodity, you know, and it, it, it always morphs. Right. So. Right. Right. I mean, the. Well, as as you know, the truth tellers who uh, who call themselves journalists are um, uh, not really tied to any of these corporations. They're they're all independent. That's that, that that's that's the way that this whole game works right now. Yeah, that's it, it, it suffice it to say. I take a sampling of what I see on Twitter. I, I disseminate information from the various headlines and then just kind of run with my own little breakdown of what I think it might be. Oh, and me I too. You know, and I don't know if that's, you know, the best way to go about it, but I, I know that looking at one source and calling that fact is just foolhardy at this point, you know? Um, yes. Well, uh, the, so the, the, the nice thing about Twitter is it's actually a news aggregator. And, and if you go into Twitter, assuming that everybody is lying to you, you can probably get something close to the truth. Yeah. Yeah. More than likely. Um, I, there was that show that came out, you know, you remember Richard Jewell from the Atlanta bombing? Remember the Olympic bombing that happened? No. It was, it was in Atlanta, right? Uh -huh. so, so long story short, a guy who always wanted to be a cop was security at the Olympics in Atlanta. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. Remember this guy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. Netflix has a special – if you haven't seen it, if you have Netflix, you need to check it out. It's called Mindhunter Deadly Games, and it follows the story. But Richard Jewell was a security guard, and he spotted a suspicious package, got everybody to clear – straight-up hero, saved countless right. lives that day. Right. And – Somehow or another, the FBI pegged him as being a suspect and the media straight up, you know, no trial, no due process, pegged him as the bomber. Right. This man's life was ruined 
I mean, ruined, you know, because of this. And it turned out he wasn't a bomber. You know, as a matter of fact, I just saw this uh, series this year. Okay. I never followed the story. I just remember it when I was a kid and I still thought he was the bomber up until I saw this. That man's name was cleared years ago. Didn't Clint Eastwood make a movie about this too? I think he did. I think he did. That's what I've heard. And I never, I never heard about that movie because I was probably getting loaded at the time, <laughs> but uh, you know, staying up on current events and shit, what my, uh, you know, my, my thing right. around that time. But um, I, I think he did, but yeah. So that to me, like dude, media is always going to do. And, and we just saw this Nashville bombing, you know, that happened on Christmas day. Like, they're already saying they got a suspect. They're already naming his name and all of that. And so it's like, I don't know, man. I just can't trust anything that I see coming out of 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 the corporate media, especially the government. Right. You know. Right. What I mean? Right. 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 I mean, well, and when it comes to this Nashville thing, like I'm keeping my mouth shut. I have a whole bunch of snarky uh, tweets that are just in my drafts because. Nice. Because I'm keeping my mouth shut. Like, you know, my, my instinct is, is like, oh, this is the feds. But, you know, that's just my instinct. I I probably should just keep uh, keep my mouth shut. Yeah. You know, so that's what that's what I've done. Because here's the thing, too, is that, like, I'm the same way as you. Like, I have a lot of theories on anything, not just this right. one instance. Right. And me voicing that likely won't get the people that I want to get chiming in on it, chiming in <laughs> people just kind of look over it. And the, the exact people I don't want to talk to somehow find me. And you know, then we're having a conversation. I'm like, Oh, right, 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 right. Right. For, for something that, that you don't even really mean, like, you know, you, you're, you're just shooting from the hip on, on how it feels, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden you get, you, you get the the people who want to argue about sources and stuff like that. You're like, I don't have a source. Yeah. Not what this is about. No, no. This ain't about source. Yeah. Source, dude, trust me. <laughs> That's my source. <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. My, my, my source is, is how much do I trust the CIA? I yeah. Know. I trust them to do this, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you know, the, the, Okay, so the thing that that drives me nuts about those types of people, it's like, yeah, but the CIA does this like other places. Oh, what's the conspiracy theory on them doing it here? Like, I'm just trusting who they are as people, you know? Yeah. But at the same time, I shouldn't just be throwing things around. Like, you know, I don't have, I don't have the biggest reach, but I, but I don't have like a, a minuscule reach. You know, I'm not a you know, I'm not an 81 follower account, you know, where I can just throw out crazy conspiracies and, and not have a- anybody take them seriously, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We, and I'm, I'm not where you are, but I'm definitely not an 80 follower account either. And I try to, I try to rein that shit in for that sake too. You know, it's right, right, know. right, right. You know, it, I, I think it's more beneficial to, uh, when you're going to drop stuff like that, drop facts. You know, because because then people won't know, you know, like, uh, you know, I mean, this is going way back. But, you know, it, it, if you start talking about Operation Paperclip, 
but you were also the guy who said that that uh, that that the ATF definitely bombed Nashville. You know, they're they're like, okay, this guy's just full, uh, just full of shit. You know, mm-hmm. there's no way NASA was was created by Nazis. You know, <laughs> right? Which it was. <laughs> and I think the other thing too is we never know the true story when it comes out. It takes decades, literal decades. Ruby Ridge and Waco, perfect right. examples. And those agencies didn't change, bud. They didn't just magically break good. Like, dude, wh- what the hell was Mandalay Bay? What the hell was that? I mean, will it, we ever know? If we do, I, it's, I don't it's think going to be will. our kids. I don't think we will. Yeah. I don't, I think that that is, that is one of the only instances that I've ever, I maybe the only instance that I know of, of a major event like that just going away. I mean, and it's gone away. Like right. nobody uh, on on the media level or political level discusses it at all. It, yeah, it's it, it's been as memory. It's been more memory hold than Jeffrey Epstein, and they still yes. are trying to uh, memory hold him. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and which is what what's wild is is that we've seen a lot of push, um, especially leading up into twenty twenty for you know new gun control, new regulations and stuff like that. Never once that I've heard has Joe Biden or any of the other, like Eric Swalwell used Las Vegas as a reason why this gun control measure needs to pass. The only thing that I ever saw was the bump stock ban from Trump, you know, and, and, but that's it. You know, after that, boom, it's like, Oh, that, that solved that bump stocks were the reason that happened. And it's like, what the fuck is happening here? Right. Right. You know, I don't know, man. Uh, <laughs> to my NSA agent listening to this podcast, just you know, know that you know you're a good person. I'm sorry that we're talking about this right now, but that's uh, right, Brady. We don't, we don't, we don't mean you. We don't mean you. <laughs> but anyway, well, um, man, John, it thanks a lot for coming on, man. Um, yeah, you like I said, having people like you that I follow keeps me in a good headspace. You know, um, not only are you doing this liberty thing and you're principled, but you're also someone who is seeking a a higher power. You're also somebody who is seeking a higher quality in life. And uh, just thanks a lot, man. Keep doing what you're doing, you know. Um, And one of the things that I like to do before we wrap up with, with people who share their story is, Jonathan, if you could talk to that person who is about to walk into their first meeting or they're getting to a point in their life where they want to change. What is something that you would like to say to them? Um, uh, it's hard. It's uh, that there, there is no easy mode to unpacking uh, all of the things that, that brought you to that door, but walk through it. You will, you don't even know how good of a person you are and you don't even know how rich life can be until you actually start unpacking all of the hurt, all of the damage and all of the pain that you've been ignoring. But, but I promise you, you will be better. You will be happier and life will be much more fulfilling once you walk through it. So walk through that door. Beautifully said, my friend, that's good information. Um, 
Is there anything you want to plug before we wrap this up? Uh, no, nah, just follow me on Twitter. Um, I, I'm, I'm a moderately good follow. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yep. Um, geez, man. I, uh, uh, just, just sharing that encouragement almost made me tear up. Um, uh, other than that, I, you know, I just want to, uh, plug, uh, uh, just sobriety, man. Like, uh, wherever you guys are at in your journey, continue on, you know, I have faith in you and I love you and keep going. Beautiful, man. Well, Jonathan, thanks a lot, brother. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, there you have it. And a big thank you to Jonathan for coming on and talking with us and sharing his story. Um, man, it's just a wonderful experience. Anytime, you know, I run across somebody who is just down to earth and so willing to talk about, you know, what brought them to the place that they're at today. And uh, Jonathan is no exception to that. And so that was that interview. This is one of my favorite ones that I've done. I mean, I say that about all of them, but, you know, I don't know. I'm just surrounded by a lot of really wonderful people. And so, uh, yeah, I hope that you guys um, enjoyed that. Maybe found some similarities. Maybe just, you know, enjoyed hearing about somebody's process into recovery. And um, I really liked that last little tidbit, you know, what he shared about, you know, coming in and, and, and just finding that drive to uh, get sober. And uh, yeah, you're not alone in this, man. No matter where you're at currently, I don't care if, if you're listening to this and, and you're two sheets to the wind. It doesn't matter. Uh, you're not alone. You know, there is a way out. And uh, yeah, just reach out and ask for help, man. Just reach out and ask for help and better days are coming. You know, uh, it's a bad day, not a bad life is what I like to say. And so with that, just going to wrap it up. And, um, you know, on these songs of the day, I've been kind of keeping it punk rock and, you know, kind of metally, but, you know, and as my musical tastes kind of go throughout their little cycle, uh, you'll see the song of the day kind of shifting as well. And today's song is by a band called Lost Dog Street Band. And it just kind of, it's folk music is what it is, but it's down to earth and it's gritty, man. And I like it. And um, this, this particular song, you know, he kind of talks about what it's about, you know, going into it, but definitely check out Lost Dog Street Band. Um, the, the front man is Benjamin Todd, and he also has a solo project that he's done. And uh, just, you know, look up Benjamin Todd or Lost Dog Street Band on Spotify or wherever you listen to music and uh, and check them out. But this is just a real easy listening song, uh, something that I hope you enjoy. And with that, I'm going to leave you with Lost Dog Street Band's The War Inside of Me. Song's about becoming, uh, becoming a better person, a better man than I was. And, uh, all of my addictions and selfishness and pride and lies. There's a war inside of yourself. You gotta choose and fight for who you want to be. Oh
yesterday in the grave Put him choked on the smoke from my father's flame But there's a no need to stoke There's a southern wind blowing this way Dare me to do it all go I'll trade these pounds of flesh For a miserable ghost And not much will change But the way that you see me will though And I see it complete in my head And I don't believe But I like to pretend That the war inside of me Sickness has poisoned my time And I searched for a cure And it abundant my sight And I'm almost sure That I've had my fail for one life And everything good was a lie All my friends turned to snakes And love turned to spite and I held the blame Cause you couldn't carry its size And I see it complete in my head And I don't believe But I like to pretend That the war inside of me That the war inside of me will kill the man I have been. So Ben writes the songs in your guys' band, and uh, I feel like a lot of them are probably pretty personal. It, it hits pretty hard. It hits pretty hard for a while. And then I get used to playing the songs, and it's a little bit easier to present after the initial wave of emotion of the song has mm -hmm. kind of passed. Not to say that they don't like still hold a, a very big depth, but it mm. gets easier. And once you, I mean, once you play that song out, mm. it's the world's. It's yeah, not even. It's not even like mine to, you know. Huh. attach all my emotion to anymore. Has there ever been one where you're like, I'm not going to play that? I'm, yeah. I'm not going to sing that? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> really? Definitely. Okay, so now everybody's <laughs> going to know there's a secret catalog of songs too personal that have to come yeah, out someday. The, yeah, that, he, has, he has a lot. <laughs>